I thank you kindly for firing up the podcast system. That's cast with me, podcast system. With me, lovey. And yes, that is my real name. Every episode, I tackle something new in the world of politics, pop culture, race, and the lack of relations. Be sure to subscribe and enjoy every shady moment. Be hashtag blessed, y'all. When someone is arrested, think about the first thing they do before coming in front of a judge. They get a haircut, they cover up tattoos, they put on a suit. Because you are judged by first impressions. But what if you can't erase the first impression people have of you? Because it's the color of your skin, the curl in your hair, the width of your nose, the accent on your tongue. How can the system ever work for you? In today's episode, my good friend and longtime brother, Josh Rodriguez, and I are going to talk about the biased American legal system. Justice is as blind as the color you claim not to see. Welcome to the show, Josh. Thank you. How are you, lovey? <laughs> I'm great. And I, I should say, because, you know, it's important to note, Josh, you are in New York. I am like, in New York. You're in the heart of a lot of everything Craziness. that's going yes. on in the world yes. today. Indeed. So, you know, I'm happy to have you here because I think you're going to offer up some perspective that people haven't considered really yet, especially for those of us who live in the outskirts. And by us, I don't mean me necessarily, but I'm saying the people I live around in the, in the Shire. <laughs> so the other day, I foolishly decided to rewatch Central Park Five jogger case that... <sighs> Silly. Uh-huh. And literally everyone I told that I had rewatched um, How They See Us... They were like, why would you watch that again? And Sometimes you need a reminder, though, I understand. And I, and I did, because I, I needed a reminder to see, have we changed how we look at the legal system, how people of color, specifically black men, black boys, are treated within the legal system? And I just felt myself getting angry all over again. So for those who don't know, I'll just give a little briefing and, you know, jump in, Josh, when, sure. whenever you think about it. So the case was basically, it was they blamed five young black boys, black and Hispanic boys. Right. right. Who, Let's, I, I'm going to put them all under the black umbrella. I'm there okay. we go. There I'm we go. one of those Latinos who considers themselves black. I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, being being the, the neighbors that we are on the island of Hispaniola. Right, same <laughs> island, same island, you understand. I, I get it. So the craziest part, one of the things that really stood out to me is after they arrested the kids, and I will say kids because they were all kids. They were kids. They arrested them. Donald Trump, before he is the even worse individual that we know today, was pretty shitty back then Agreed. and decided to take out an ad in the Daily News, I think it was, I believe it. Oh, yeah. It was it was one of them. Sounds very posty, but it could have been the Daily News. You know what? You might be right. It might have been the New York Post. It sounds definitely it's not the um, New York Times, but No, it certainly was not the Times. We have a little more respect for that publication. Yeah. Slightly. But he took he took out an ad calling for the death penalty of these five boys involved in the case. And the case for those who don't know and Honestly, how do you not know? The case was a woman who was attacked in the park late at night while there were a lot of people out in the park in the summer. And, you know, she was she was brutally attacked. It was it was not an attack that anybody would downplay. 
but with barely any evidence to link them to it, they decided that these boys were it, and that was it, right. and the case right. was done. Even after all of the evidence kept proving, like, oh, well, somebody else was there with the semen that's not part of this group of five. And... That doesn't belong to any of the five kids, right. Right. right kids so long story short they were finally found innocent most of them found innocent well after they had served their time so we fast forward and then you start thinking about other cases over the years specifically to the central park five um i think and um it was during our lifetime so i remember yeah this being on the news i was really young but i remember this being on the news and i didn't fully understand what it meant looking back on it now uh when we have Trump in office. I refuse mm. to really give him a title. Um, I agree that's my bias. But it was a magnificent, for lack of a better word, play in how money, media, and uh, personal biases tie into our legal system. Oh, um, gosh. <laughs> it's precisely what people are rebutting against today. And this is literally a case study on it. Um, it is. I, why can you buy an ad to attempt to persuade a public maybe even a judge, maybe even a jury, to convict five ultimately innocent boys just because you have the resources to do so. He had no right to comment publicly on a criminal proceeding. No. It wasn't his place. And I'm not saying that he had a legal right. I'm just saying it wasn't his place to comment because he had no more evidence than anybody did because ultimately he was wrong. Right. And the case hadn't even been tried yet. Right. This was still in the preliminary proceedings where... I. They had barely gone to trial and decided what all of the accounts of the accused were going to be. So, you know, this is like day one, I'm coming out of left field because it happened to be a young white woman and five black boys. He determined that their lives weren't worth keeping. Right. Um, Assuming they had done it. Right. His personal biases were so strong that he put money down to kill these five black boys. And somehow made it. And now he's president. President. But yeah. But we don't understand systemic racism and how personal biases can affect black bodies. Wait, you mean there's systemic racism? Oh, I don't know. I think I just made that up. I'm not (laughs) sure that I've ever been a victim of it. I thought that was just a meme that people were sending around and had no no actual... It's just a trigger warning to upset (laughs) people who don't ever experience it, I guess. Let me please say that when you hear me laughing, that's, that's my own tactic of not getting overly... Rage, Excited. angry, Understood. Yeah, Understood. yeah, and and throwing things, laptops, people. It's a coping mechanism in love. You and I get along great, um, <laughs> so I totally understand it. I will also <laughs> smile frequently and laugh because it's absurd that we have to discuss this. It's so plain to us. In 2020. In 2020. I think it's so plain, and having to break it down and explain it to people is exhausting, quite frankly. So what you also mentioned about money. So the legal system is legitimately the best version of capitalism one can imagine, right? Absolutely. Because the, the goal is always to win. Right. You know, you, you don't hear about prosecutors who are like, man, I was really excited to have lost that case. Right. I'm you don't excited. Hear prosecutors <laughs> advancing when they lose many cases. Right. You know, you don't hear them say, you know, that defense attorney really brought out a good defense and proved me wrong. And I'm kind of excited they saved that man's life. Ever. That doesn't happen. And when you watch the documentary of the case, you can see it every turn. Even when the prosecutors are like, man, this seems really like a stretch. You know, and they're saying this behind closed doors. This seems like a stretch. We don't quite have it. The stories don't match up at all. But we can't lose. Because if we lose, it looks bad for our record. I can't possibly run for district attorney with a bad record. You know, it's legitimately about 
winning and winning in the world of law and order is about locking people up. Right. And the people that we're locking up look like you and me. Right. We rarely celebrate a not guilty verdict. No. Um, we send those people off. We're like, whoops, sorry. And then we move on. Right. And from the prosecution's perspective, their careers are literally advanced based on the number of convictions they get. It seems backwards. I mean, it, it, it you know, and I know it sounds so simple, but it seems like the legal system is set up actually to hurt more than it is to help. It's not set up in a way where it's like, okay, you've done something horrible. We understand as human nature, this might happen on occasion. What's the first step in helping you and it's the same thing like when let's not mistake it we get that for some people in oh well so we get that I... for some people so it's so not is... the, the thought isn't foreign but here's what i was going to say so i was going to compare if you look at the crack cocaine issue back versus in the day the opioid issue, right? versus opioid issue and i've had arguments with people who are like you sound so callous like you sound like you don't care no i care i don't want to see people die of drug overdoses but i remember the days of walking down the streets when I was a kid and there were crack vials on the street, right. on the street, and I just remember police constantly taking people in and throwing them in jail who looked like they needed help. Right. These weren't necessarily the drug dealers. These were people who were utilizing drugs were and addicts. getting caught, yeah. and they were addicts, and they were just thrown in jail, and that was it. There was no sympathy. There was no, like, oh, man, what are we going to do for these people and this community, and we need to do better. But look at today, and it's like... Everybody wants to change the laws. It's like, no, we right. have to help. Because like, it's inconvenienced a certain sect of the population. It's like, oh, white suburban kids are now overdosing. Oh, shit, this is a problem. Right. Drugs are a problem now. <laughs> and we need to figure out how to rehabilitate these people as opposed to being punitive towards them right. and arresting them. Right. Um, you know, that's the way of the world. But no, we're we're overexaggerating, obviously. Right. Obviously. Right. We're, we're no, yeah, no one believes us. We don't see it every day. <laughs> Um, and I think you and I are fortunate that uh, we are from very similar socioeconomic backgrounds, I would yeah. say. Mm -hmm. um, we have been largely educated in very similar, predominantly Schools. white institutions. So we've um, seen all sides. Right. We've been on both sides of the proverbial fence. And um, it's clear as day to people like us, people who I think have had the opportunity to traverse both worlds mm -hmm. um, can very easily see the difference. Um, those who haven't had a chance to will... Shocked. More likely than not, yeah, respond as if they are shocked that this is actually occurring. Does it I mean, matter that we've been crying this for 20, 30 forever. years? I mean, I still remember, and I think, you know, you and I both, because we went off to private school, we went off to boarding school. And so some of the things that we were warned about doing growing up in New York City that were criminal acts, I remember getting to boarding school and it was like Saturday afternoon activity. Right. You know, I was like, wait, but right. in New York, if you're caught doing that as a young black woman or a black man, you will go to jail. If I can tell a personal story. Oh, please do. You know, uh, personal which stories. I will totally reveal. Um, I think the statute of limitations have expired because it was 2001. <laughs> Let's I so. went to <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's another story of teenage alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, I was at a graduation party when I graduated from my high school that shall remain nameless because I don't mm -hmm. want to uh, mm -hmm. endanger their reputations. I was in. A, uh, I was on, sorry, a, uh, I don't know what to call it, a ho horse. I had a friend who graduated with me, and their family breeded horses. Okay. So they threw a party <laughs> on this farmland. I don't, I'm such a city boy, I don't know what to call it. <laughs> uh, but I'm in a barn. Right. Drinking a beer at the with age of 18. The horses everywhere. And like the a barn prairie? Door... Or like a no, prairie? No, no, they were... 
stables. Stables. Yeah. That's the word. That's the Yay. word. I'm, I'm all about cement, <laughs> brick and mortar. I don't understand wood, but stable horse stables. But uh, we're in the barn drinking. The barn door swings open, and it is the local police authorities. I don't know if they were sheriffs. I don't know if they were like Virginia PD. I don't know what they were, right. but they had uniforms on. And my six foot two, two hundred and ninety five pound self was drinking a natural ice a natty oh, God. ice i judge you more for um, that than anything at this point <laughs> i was young i was 18 and breaking the law the cop stared at me and said is that a beer i did not respond i took a sip because i was like if i'm going in this is I'm the last well, this is the last sip i'm gonna have for hours <laughs> so <laughs> fuck it um i took a sip the cop walked past me and wanted to figure out because there were a ton of people drinking Mm-hmm. Um, I immediately ran as soon as the cop walked past me. Obviously, um, I ran uh, into one of the other horse stables where I was in in the middle of a stampede at oh pitch dark Virginia. But the concept of running from police Didn't at the exist. age of eighteen, I had never considered it at all until I saw my white friends kind of like scurrying off into the shadows, <gasps> and I was like, "We can do that." Like, we can run. Um, so I ran, too, because I was exercising my white privilege. Well, that and um, also, you know, black folks, one person starts running. It's like, we're running. Right, right. <laughs> there's um, there's right. a reason. I, we got to go. We got to go. I was not the only melanated body in motion <laughs> once I ran out of the bar. Um, there were a couple of us. Um, but the thought that I actually ran, I was drinking in public in front of an officer at the age of 18. Um, Man. And got away with it. Right. Um, that would not have happened had I been in Washington Heights in New York. Are you kidding? Matt, listen. Um, but I was in Middleburg, Virginia. Um, that was, and... I mean, that might have been the first mistake after the Natty Light. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> the first mistake was being in Middleburg. Agreed. Yes. Second mistake was drinking a Natty Light, uh, Natty Ice. <laughs> natty Ice. Uh, <laughs> whatever it was, the blue can. <laughs> but the fact that uh, it's even a benchmark in my life for thinking how incredibly stupid it was to run away from an armed officer um not that he was addressing me at all he he walked past me so i was like i'm not the focus of his ire i'm gone but now my heart skip my heart skips a beat hearing you say that like i ran from a white officer right you know like i i get Um, tense there was a tense moment for me too um but like i said i was I don't know how to put it any other way, but I was steeped in whiteness at the time yeah. because I was hanging out with all my white high school friends. And you got comfortable. And, right. And I got comfortable. So I ran and I made it. Um, <laughs> it was great. Um, but yeah, there's inherently a racial component to law, um, to fear of law enforcement that people like us grow up with. And the sad thing is, even today, watching some of the cases that have come out even after George Floyd's murder. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry that I'm forgetting his name right now. Um, Atlanta. Ahmad. No, no. Oh, gosh. Now that, you know, they're like. Multiple. Oh, are we talking about uh, Rashard Brooks? Yes. Rashard Brooks. The, the Queens. Uh, yeah. There's, the, there's the so Wendy's. many. The fact that we had the, I'm sorry, the Wendy's. Why did I say Queens? I have no idea. Um, White Castle. I don't know. No, but you're right. Like, literally, I'm like Atlanta. And you're like, oh, well, which one? Right. You know, the right. fact that he did everything kind of like what we're taught to do. Did you overly... watch the Ahmad Arbery entire video? Unfortunately, I did. I did too. Okay. Just wanted to make sure we're on even ground. Yeah. So both cases, Ahmad's and Rayshard's, they literally did everything. You, you watched Rayshard's some... also? Unfortunately, I did. I did too. Okay. Good. Yeah. Just making sure. Here's the thing. I did because 
I want to feel as if when people come to me and say, well, he should have done this, or this is why he got killed, I can say, no, I saw the tape. And there's no question in my mind that that man did everything that a human being would do in that situation. And he actually did more than that. Right. You know, because I've seen videos, I've overheard tapes of white individuals. Like, And I'm not even going to lie. Like, my husband, who is white, we've been driving down the street. And he's driving. And I'm like, dude, there's a police cruiser ahead. Slow down. He's like, what do you mean? I'm going 65, you know, or 66. I'm like, bring it down a notch. Right. I have that inherent fear on the highway not going over 67 or 65 if the speed limit is 65 and I know there's a police officer there. That is not inherently how he feels, you know? And so watching Rayshard Brooks stand there and say, you know what, I'll just walk home, please. The please and thanks and the and the overly cordial. The deference to law enforcement. Like, I'm begging you, like, right. let me just go home. All of the options out there. And in those cases, and this is so before it even gets to the legal system, right? Right. Because the cops are, well, that's a whole, well, that's a whole other. And it's all tied together. Now, in a perfect world, and the whole, like, arrest to jail pipeline. Mm -hmm. um, and let me back up and say that I have, for the better part of 13 years, worked either uh, as a paralegal mm -hmm. um, or from within a courthouse. Um, <gasps> all I'm going to say. You're in the system. Um, I am, but. Hopefully helping the system. Like it or not, um, the system isn't going anywhere for a while. Um, I have struggled with this, and I've only been working from within the court system for about a year. Mm -hmm. um, I have struggled with this decision that I made. With that said, the court system isn't going anywhere. Um, and since it is laden with bias and um, people being unable to relate to bodies that look like us, right? we need people who look like us to be working from within the system. Absolutely. So I can understand when a kid from Harlem or Washington Heights ends up in our courtroom and I have access to discussing it with the judge. Which is what's needed, honestly. Right. Um, ultimately, also, I, uh, I'm, you know, I'm not going to give too many details of where I work. No, no, but, no. Um, what I was saying is um, when an officer makes an arrest, let's say they don't have any physical evidence or let's say they do, the indictment, so what the prosecutor charges the alleged with, Mm -hmm. is 100% based on whatever the officer says. Wait, so say that again, because I want I want people to really understand what you just said. So let's say Sean. I'm going to mm -hmm. take a racially biased, officially unbiased name, Sean. I'm not going to even spell it for you. Right, Sean, there we go. <laughs> Sean gets arrested. Officer says Sean was in possession of narcotics and a knife. The only proof we have is, you know, we don't know where the knife or narcotics came from. It could have been in the officer's pocket. It could have been on Sean's beat. But the only document that actually allows then the district attorney, who normally is the prosecution, who charges the alleged person, mm -hmm. um, the only instrument they have to go off on is the officer's sworn statement that they witnessed Sean, or he or she, the officer, witnessed Sean carrying a knife that, who, and was intending on using it as a weapon and carried narcotics. The officer can very well lie. But as long as they make that sworn statement, the DA is now authorized to go forth, bring this Based. case before a courtroom um, oh. where the alleged will now see a judge and can be held in captivity until the system decides what to, do, what to do. So before cameras, before body cams. Even now, the time of body cams. Right. Sworn uh, statement. Sworn statement from 
a very fallible human being, someone who might be having a bad day, someone who might have racist tendencies, someone who may have just misunderstood what they witnessed. It's happened to all of us. You come into an accident, you come into a scene where there's an altercation, you don't know who the aggressor is, you don't know who defending, who's defending themselves, but you make a snap judgment and you might handcuff the wrong person. Right. But because of what you saw and you're swearing to now, whether or not it was intentionally malicious or a lie, the DA now takes your sworn statement and the judge also then accepts your sworn statement that what you witnessed was in fact fact. Wow. It's laden with bias and that, can, that bias can be racism. Um, sexism sexism from its inception the entire document that basically steers the path of someone who has entered the justice system has so much opportunity for bias and the saddest part that now i'm realizing after you've said that because i'll be honest with you i didn't realize that it was that basic of a level of that's how all of cases got brought to where they yeah so think about the training that goes into becoming a police officer versus becoming a lawyer versus becoming a judge versus becoming a bus driver in New York City, which I actually think requires quite a bit of training. More so than an officer, absolutely. An officer is the key, is the starting point to everything that happens that leads a person. It requires six months of academy training. Six months. I believe it's six months. I can double check that, but I believe it's six months. You can't get a nail technician's license. In six months. I can't get my passport in six months. No, you can't. <laughs> you cannot get a passport in six months. You can become a police officer. Police officer and then be backed by the state to hold people in captivity and ultimately take their lives. And what are the consequences? Are there any consequences on the books for police officers who are found to have incorrect sworn statements? Like, so whether mistake or or purposefully. So here's the other opportunity where there is room for bias. Mm-hmm. Because of the relationship created between an officer and a district attorney, a district attorney's entire case relies on the statements of an officer on the eyewitness accounts of an officer. And if not the officer themselves, the people who the officers have gathered as witnesses, there has to be a working relationship between the two for the officer to feed the DA cases. The right. DA or the assistant district attorney, in order to promote, you know, move vertically within their field, their success is judged on convictions. It behooves both parties to maintain a working relationship. You win, I win, and somebody's life loses. Right. But Because if you're a street-level officer, you get more arrests, guess who gets promoted? Your district attorney. Also the officer. Yeah. Because the officer is also making arrests and getting results and is hitting all his numbers. As a district attorney now, because you're now enforcing the law, or so you're applying the law rather than that, you're not really enforcing it, your promotion also banks on how many guilty verdicts you get. How many people have you locked up? So it behooves a district attorney to have a working relationship with police departments because they literally feed each other. And this is the crux of why the system is broken. One one more further. Oh, gosh, please. Yeah. Look into the background of most of your judges. More often than not, they are former district attorneys. Right. So they're prosecutors they're prosecutors right very rarely do you have a public defender who becomes a judge it happens don't get me wrong it absolutely happens but the system rewards people who feed the system so you arrest more people to give it to the da the da gets more conviction the da becomes a judge the judge sends people to prisons that have notoriously 
done paybacks of sorts for the more prisoners that they get in certain places. Am I making this up? Is this accurate? Like, I, I may have watched a little too many Law & Order episodes of the kickback. There are examples of it. <laughs> yeah. Can I say that what you just said is widespread? No. Mm-hmm. But that's, That's good to know. That's good I, I, to I know. Can't, I, I can't say that it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but are there examples of it happening? Absolutely. Absolutely. And on paper, our judicial system should not be this way. No. Should it should be, be it should actually be the opposite. Because isn't the whole system based on repairing rehabilitation? Right. It's rehabilitation. So if you're arresting people just for the sake of padding your numbers, that means you're not helping people. Police officers show up ready to arrest, not ready to, you know, break up an yeah, argument. Yeah, very, very seldomly. Well, they aren't counselors. I'm going to be completely unbiased. Of all the police civilian interactions, I don't know what the percentage of them are overwhelmingly negative. Mm-hmm. But I do know that there are enough that they should be curtailed. Right. I can't tell you that 10% of every police and civilian interaction has gone wrong. I can't tell you 15%. But I know that there are enough stories, especially within our communities, that they deserve attention. Right. Officers deserve to be held to a higher standard because they are backed by a system that affords them every opportunity. Right. And I want to say, because I don't want it to make it seem like it's just the individual's fault, it is the system's fault because we hire the individuals. We don't do the screenings to see who is overtly biased. I read an article, I should have it on hand to, to quote, but If you look at the number of officers that have been called out in the last couple of months for having just online Facebook posts that are blatantly biased against certain races, these are the folks that we're sending into the fire without any real training, right? And so that's the level one. Like Now learning that everything is based off of the word of a police officer, and then you've got a prosecutor who is really trying their best to win. And one of the things that you and I talked about before we got on the calls was plea deals, right? Which for me, are it's it's painful because if you don't know what a plea deal is, it, it makes it sound like, oh, you're doing a nice thing for a criminal. Well, not exactly. Anyone who's seen any of the documentaries that we were referring to earlier understands what a plea deal is. But if I could break it down a little further, what happens is, oh my, and I don't know where to begin. So Sean gets arrested. Mm-hmm. Let's say Sean is not of financial, financially Means. advantaged. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sean needs a public defender. These public defenders, and I'm not taking away from them. They work hard. They work hard. (laughs) They've got a lot of cases. 75, 100, up to 200 cases. And they're just churning them out. They're just because they've got to get to the next case. And sometimes from from a standpoint of just wanting to touch every case, because every case is a potential, you know, kid behind bars or a kid facing time. So you want to touch them all. Yeah. Now, when Sean, who is young and is in a jail and is facing time because what the prosecution does is they trump up all of the charges. Everything. They trump up everything to maximum penalty to scare the wits out of you. And when you say you're facing 45 years, but we'll give you six. Right. It sounds wonderful. It sounds wonderful. All right. I'll be out in six. I'll still be able to live my life. I can maybe even have Um, a family, whatever. I can have a career and a life afterward. And quite frankly, because you don't know if you can risk the chances. Because historically, we have not done well when we've fared before a jury or a judge. Right. So I get it. You're scared. You take the deal. Prosecution is done. They got their win. The public defender has one less case they have to work through. They're done. Right, because it saves saves them time. It saves them time from having to go through the court proceedings. Right. Uh, So it benefits both. There goes goes money again, right? Right. It saves the court's money. It saves... 
Right. And the one way to slow all of that down is to reduce the number of arrests, reduce the number of bodies that are coming through the legal system. So once again, it reverts back to law enforcement. If you don't want to inundate the legal system, stop making everything an arrestable offense. Right. Jumping a turnstile should not throw a child in front of a judge. Being a drug addict, apparently, it is frowned upon now to make it Mm -hmm. a criminal act. It shouldn't have been back then. It shouldn't have been in the 80s, and that's why some of us are upset. We've been (sighs) crying this, screaming this, for those of us who are in our 30s and 40s, for the majority of our lives. So what I'm going to do, and my siblings will probably hate me for this, but I want to paint a picture because I think people don't fully comprehend what it's like to be a black person in the court system, specifically speaking in Brooklyn, right? You know, people think like, oh, lovey, you've never been, and blah, blah, blah. So for those who know my father and have seen pictures of my father, he is probably, right, you know. Right. Like he is legitimately dapper dad. Like he played Arthur Ashe when he was young. Tennis. My dad is a tennis player. He plays golf. He is freaking suit. He plays tennis in a suit. He gardens in a suit. My dad does everything in a suit. My dad is, you know, from old school. Like he's just you got to look the part. Okay. My dad was one of the first men to go to UVA. Literally one of the first two black men to attend UVA in 1962, right? So this is this is my father. I grew up with this man. Like, I've never seen him do wrong. He might push the horn a little extra when we're driving around New York City, but that's about it. So my father, gosh, I want to say I was living in Washington Heights at the time. Matt was in med school, and I get a phone call from my dad, and he says, hey, I need you to come down to dot, 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 police precinct. You know, I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, I need you to come grab my wallet and the car. So, of course, I have a moment of panic, and I freak out, and I get down there. And I walk into the police station. Is this in Brooklyn? This is in Brooklyn, right. So I walk into the police station, and I'm like, hey, I'm here. I think my dad's here. When I watch how they see us, and I experience this, I'm like, I get it. I get how you say things that you don't mean to say, right? They're super sweet. They're like, oh, your dad's in the back. We were just getting him some lunch. No big deal. Come have a seat. So I go in there and I'm in the room with my dad and legitimately like, what? what's going on? And I'm too afraid to also get too many details because I know that we're in a police room. So I'm like, okay, I don't want you to say anything that you shouldn't say, but what's the gist of what's going on? So I asked the police officer and he says to me, he's like, oh, well, your dad was involved in a possible hit and run. Some guys claim that he tried to take off after they got into a car accident. Long story short, they tell me, no big deal. We're just going to write him a ticket. He'll be on his way. Fast forward two hours of me waiting in the waiting room, and they're like, ah, hate to break it to you, but we just transferred him. And I'm like, what? Where? Where is he? So then I watch as they put, they're walking my dad out with others, and then they put him in a van to who knows where. Gone. Just like that. And then I go back to the police officers who were super nice in the beginning, and I'm like, well, where is he going? What time will he be back? Where can I pick him up? Door closes, conversation stops, and it all becomes, I don't know, you'll figure it out. And it took two days, two days to get my dad. You can't get a hold of him. You can't reach out to him. This is the system, right? So, of course, I'll speed up the story a little bit, but we have a public defender. And in that moment, I was like, oh, dear God, you're sitting in a courtroom filled with basically all black men, all black men. And in the hallway are all of the attorneys. So the 
public defenders and the prosecutors, and they're legitimately kicking it. They're drinking coffee together. They're talking. They're laughing. The judge walks in finally into the courtroom. They let everybody in. And the judge is like, hey, I hope you guys had a great weekend. Like, they're friends. They're all friends, right? And you think, but wait, if they're all friends, then how are they going to protect my dad? I don't I don't get it. And so I'm sitting there as I'm watching as each case goes through and the public defenders are legitimately holding a stack of what looks like 50 folders. And they'll call in someone to come in next. And you hear papers ruffling around. They're like, oh, just give me one minute, judge. And they're looking for the name of the person that they're supposed to be defending. And it's like if you've ever been to Best Buy and you go up and you're like, hey, you know, which is the best sound system? They get down and they read and they read off the card. So that's exactly what is happening with the public defenders. They call the person up. They say, uh, Jacob Browntree, this has been your offense. And the public defender opens up the envelope and they're like, wait, um, yes, judge, he is accused of dot, dot, dot. And I realize I'm like, you have no idea who my father is. So in that moment, I then made the decision that whatever money I had, I had to give and I had to hire an attorney. All of it. Every single dime. And then I paid for that attorney who probably in a three hour span (laughs) and a few phone calls almost burned through all of that. Right. So this is the legal system of like, okay, I don't understand why this is going in this way. I'm kind of freaking out. I'm losing my hair. Like I'm really having a panic attack because they're saying to me, if my dad goes to trial, he'll go away for a year and change. And if he takes a plea deal, we'll do a month and, you know, probation. And I'm like, for what? Right, right. But for what? When you're facing the month versus the year, and they paint the picture of like, if you go to trial, you will get a year. Yeah. Certainty they speak with. It's frightening. It's scary. It's scary. And I'm telling you people, it is scary. So imagine that you're a child. Imagine that you're a parent of a child right, and you don't. Right. right. My dad is an adult. I'm what he's well educated. I am well educated. We look the part of what should be people who are like, what happened was an accident. This was not a, this is not what you guys are making it sound like. And it was as if we had no voice in that courtroom. You can say what you want. Our legal system is inherently capitalistic. It is. It is. It is. Um, no question about money, it. You've got a better chance. Yeah. Pleading your case. There's no way around it. Lawyers who charge more can maintain their revered lifestyles because they look the part they look the part. they have higher end clientele and most importantly they can focus on fewer cases right because they can afford to work 10 cases as opposed to 200 cases and they can pay that they can keep their lights on and they can do the research on the accuser they can do they can find evidence that proves the person that was involved in the act has this is their 10th accident and they're purposely causing these just so that they can get insurance money like all of these things no matter how educated you are, if you are not well-versed in how the legal system works, you are completely disarmed once you are in the system. And that's why people like us um, were raised to just don't get in the system. Don't yeah, get in. ever. Avoid it at all costs. Because once you're in, the odds are stacked against you. Um, right. Especially if you're someone of very little financial means. Right. And even most recently, in the midst of the riots and the pandemic, I mean, you and I have a familial connection of sorts yeah. that, and you know... You know, I do want to talk about Colin's case because I I think it's an important one for people to understand. Because I've also been listening, and I'll let you give sort of a briefing and then I'll jump in. But listening to, because now you can listen online to uh, court proceedings, it's mind-boggling. It is. Wow, where do we begin? 
I'd like to begin with humanizing the story first. Yes. I guess Colin, to me, is uh, was a student in the program where you and I met, Lovey. Mm-hmm. Um, I was an advisor when he was a student. Similar to the way right. I met you, Lovey, when I was a student. And I you was your advisor. advisor. You were my advisor. I was Colin's advisor. So much so that I believe your younger brother yes. was uh, contingent mates. With yeah, he and Colin were close friends. Yeah. Advisor also. Um, I love this kid. I am biased. I will unapologetically say that. Where do we begin? So that's our relationship with Colin. Uh, right. Colin is a corporate lawyer in New York who is facing 45 years to life for how do and 45 I... years is is life i mean right, right at this point right at it, this point it is right. um he's what 32 years old i believe right so he's facing a minimum of 45 years for what boils down to allegedly him driving his co-defendant uh Yurush, who threw an incendiary device at a previously destroyed police vehicle the... these are important details because people do gloss go off, over them. There was no one in the vehicle. I believe even by the prosecution's account, sorry, no, this was Yuruj's attorney. There were two other witnesses on the street, and they were several yards away and in no physical danger. Not in the blast radius, if you will. Right. Assuming this vehicle had ignited at all. Somehow that translates into 45 years to life. Right. I'm not arguing culpability. I'm not debating whether or not Yuruj and Colin were guilty of the offenses they are alleged of. What I'm arguing is if you strip down the legalese, tell it like it is. What happened? Colin drove a car, a woman threw what was a fashion Molotov cocktail that did not ignite, and they were arrested several blocks later. No one was hurt. All of a sudden, I believe the the federal prosecution, because it has now become a federal case, I believe the federal, the prosecutions are arguing that because some funding went to the police department, it is not a federal case. They're facing yes. federal time. And for anyone who understands federal time versus state time is, there is no out for good behavior. No. If you get 45 years minimum, you're doing 45 years. There's no like 45 years and I'm out in 10 or I'm out in 20 or I'm out in 25. You're doing 45. The prosecution is attempting to make an example out of Colin and Yurush. And there's no question about it. Right. And and they've used terminology like terrorism. They've right. used... Pakistani. Um, right. So uh, if that helps. Muslim Pakistani woman. And Colin is a black man from Brooklyn. Right. Um, it is... It's almost like the, the dream combo of the worst case scenario for two people. It's like, right. oh, who are the two most hated groups, by my opinion, in America? Muslims and black men. I mean, I... I'm going to say two of the three. Okay, yes. <laughs> What's the third? Maybe hated is not the word that I would use. Okay, maybe not hated, but... but uh, disrespected. Men. Disrespected is a bunch better, yes. Um, black women. Oh, gosh. I mean, that's if we even get mentioned, but that's a different story. Right. So Still the ire of many evildoers. It's worst case scenario for both... It is. And you. But it's not even, you know what, it, here's, the, here's the problem. It's not worst case scenario because it sh- the case shouldn't even look like that or have made it to that level. And like you mentioned earlier, they have added every single charge one can imagine and amplified them to the maximum. But, and here's the thing, going back to what we said earlier, here you have a federal, pro- I'm not going to name any of the people. I'm not going to name judges or... No, 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 no. We don't need to do that. You can do your own research. Right. In the midst of what what is a new civil rights movement, and I think, you know, upscaled or elevated, or um, 
escalated maybe, here you have a federal prosecutor who has a chance to make a name for themselves. On a big case. On a big case. Right. And that's what I mean. And I don't know the prosecutor's history, I'll be honest. I didn't really look into it. But I know no matter what they have done, I'm not even going to assign gender to them, no matter what the federal prosecutors have done, this is a big media case. It's not, I'm not going to say it's a landmark case, but it will be a big notch in this prosecutor, prosecutor's belt if he gets a conviction. Um, and it's New York City. This isn't, you know, podunk town. And, you know, because even, and I'll bring up for comparative purposes, when I initially posted about Colin and Yeruja's case, I tried to look for other cases similar. So I found a case, Brandon Michael Wolf, age 23, St. Paul, Minnesota, charges aiding and abetting arson, one count. Okay. Not only was he charged with one count of arson, but when they arrested him, they found that he had also robbed, oh, by the way, this was a police precinct that he had thrown something into to ignite a fire into a police precinct and then also decided to steal some stuff from there. So when they arrested him, he had like a police vest, you know, he had a holster, he had taken stuff, right? So so when I looked at that and I had mentioned that online and I posted it, somebody initially immediately said, well, I don't think these two cases are similar at all. Why not? And I said, why? Because Brandon is white and 23 and from Minneapolis. What, what's the, that's the only difference I see is what he looks like. And if anything, I would allege that Brandon's offenses are were more egregious than Collins. Brandon <laughs> lit fire or attempted to light fire to a police station. Station with people in it, possibly. Right, people are in it because police stations are never not manned, ever. And then he <sighs> stole stuff, was found in possession of the stuff, and yet didn't face any counts for stealing the stuff. Um, was it one charge of arson? One charge of arson. One charge of arson. Versus the seven count indictment. Use of explosives, arson, use of explosives to commit a felony, arson conspiracy, use of a destructive device, civil disorder, and making or possessing a destructive device. I love how one category can be split into four additional charges. Because it's our legal system. How, yeah, right. How compounding someone's charges and then getting a guilty plea is a reward for a prosecutor. I don't know how else to make it plain. It's a reward if this prosecutor gets this conviction for his personal career. Our system cannot work in this way. Our system is against us in so many ways. And when we're set up to have to go through fighting for our lives in this kind of fashion, it's how can you say it's fair? How can anyone say we've seen rapists with evidence, DNA, video, eyewitness get told, well, we don't want to ruin your young potential life. That would be Brock Turner. Yes. Um, right, another white male whose life cannot be ruined by a momentary. What was the other case? I suffered from affluenza. Right, that was the guy. Uh, the I'm too rich to go to jail. He hit, I believe it was two people. I might, I'm blanking on his name, uh, but I believe he killed two people. Yep. Maybe and then one, and like maimed a second. I don't remember the details, but he drove a car, killed people or got sent home on bail, took off. Right. To Mexico and then still walked away. Right. Um, there are instances where we have clearly proven time and time again that we cannot leave individuals, may that be that a law enforcement officer or a district attorney or a judge. There's too much room for there to for them to impose their own bias. And this entire system is run off of finances and biases. And gut feelings and opinions. It cannot be that way. It can't be that way. And if it continues to be that way, unfortunately, you're going to end up with more Eurusias and Collins. Yeah. People who have done 
everything to work from within the system to better the system to better their own lives and yet and what i'm not a psychologist either but i'm going to go that route and i'm going to get dark here for a second if that's okay yes please um and specifically to colin here you have a black man from brooklyn who was educated at the finest institutions in the country boarding school ivy league very prominent law school employed by a corporate firm very successful he was willing to allegedly risk it all because still he saw the injustices he did everything right up until i believe this alleged event happened on may 30th mm-hmm. um, up until the day before colin had done everything right everything he followed the rule book he followed the rules he followed the rules and he made allegedly or he's accused of one mistake and all of a sudden he's a threat to his community he's been denied bail obviously the bail appeal is still pending as, as we speak now um as far as i know i haven't checked since yesterday it's not that far-fetched to understand the kind of psyche the kind of position mental mental position he was in to make that call i mean shit, we got people storming capital gov- government buildings with guns because they haircuts right because they want to get a haircut but yet to witness an entire system that has held captive people who look like you for hundreds of years with no sign of it getting any better no and no sympathy for oh well you're you're a ch-. i mean it's actually almost worse sometimes the younger they are the khalif browders like how can we forget the number of times that we have allowed young people of color black boys black women sexual assault victims to pay the price before something is done the system needs to change. The legal system, like you said, like I said, it's it's capitalistic. It's not in the business of rehabilitation. It's not in the business of actually finding out what the source of the problem is. It's about winning. And the only people who are winning in this are those who work within the system. Right. Are the people whose lives are not on the line. No. You're rewarded if you punish the people who... It makes no sense. Who every now and then break a law it makes no sense there's so much more to this than we can even get into in an hour but what i ask of everybody who is listening is to take a step back because as americans and i I specifically say americans i think we have gotten too comfortable let me edit i think white americans have gotten too comfortable that assuming that the systems that have been put in place are to everyone's benefit and everyone's protection as you are seeing now the police and all of the issues that now have been videotaped and they're, you know, these are things that have been happening for years. You're just seeing them because there are cameras now and everybody's got the cell phone. The legal system, if you've never been involved in it, if you've never been in a courtroom, if you've never read the documents of a court proceeding, you would assume that lawyers and judges are out to make things better. When you realize that a lot of this is like Josh said, like Josh, you said, it's it's based on The more people you put away, the better you look. Oh, I think we now have the catalyst within ourselves, within the system, to make sure that in two years' time, we're not back in the same place again. And I will say this, as someone who is privy to some communications within the legal system, um, it appears that changes are coming. I hope Um, so. This is... And let me talk about this entire movement holistically. Um, this, and I, I don't know. I don't know that I can just call it a civil rights movement. It's not a new civil rights movement. It's a, it's a pro justice, pro accountability, accountability movement. The protests, the marches, the rallies, the riots are getting people's attention. Unfortunately, this country responds to violence, to the threat of violence, as much as we discourage 
looting and rioting and destruction of property. It seems to be the only thing that gets a response. Right. Um, so me being, and this is just my perspective being in New York, I was outside during the pandemic. As love you know, I'm yeah. an avid bike rider. I, and per the governor and mayor's orders, we were allowed to exercise. So I exercised often throughout this pandemic. I rode my bike everywhere. We had 15,000 COVID-19 related cases, 15,000 COVID related deaths in New York City throughout the pandemic. There was talk of a curfew being instituted, not until, and I'm, I'm making it bare bones, not until someone broke a Macy's window did an actual curfew get instituted. Wow, they're which we all know what that's about. They're not protecting lives, they're protecting money. It always comes back to money. It comes back to money and it's incredibly frustrating to see it clear as day. How many more lives did we have to lose before we can be like, hey, everyone stay home. But as soon as the store gets looted, we need a curfew for a week. And for those who complain about looting and complain about people out protesting and being violent, I want you to bring that same energy to the injustices that are suffered on a daily basis, which led us to where we are today. Because if you did, a lot of this stuff wouldn't be happening. Right. If you ask me to care about a Wendy's burning over Ahmaud Arbery's life, I'm not going to. No, it's not going to happen. If you ask me to worry about a Macy's window over George Floyd's life, I'm not going to decide with that. I'm going to side with life every single time over problems. Always. And I don't see why that's even up for debate. I am not okay with you saying that a slightly damaged police cruiser is the same as 45 years to life for two individuals. I will say, this conversation is continuing, and it should be continuing, and it should be a conversation that you have to have in your homes. So if you have that crazy friend, A, why are they your friend? But if you have that crazy family member who will say, well, they should have just followed the law and they shouldn't have done this, talk to them about the reality of the situation. Talk to them about the law. And for those of you who really don't understand the law, do some research. Stop believing the hype. Stop believing what you think is actually going on in our system, in our government, within our police system. Like, look up actual facts and you will see all of the places of discrepancy. You will see the number of court cases and the number of convictions that go against black individuals versus whites. You will see that it doesn't make sense and it's not fair and it and hasn't been fair ever. Okay? So... When people say, what can they do? And I know I talked about this in the last episode, and we talked about this all this episode. Money talks. And so I will post some links with the episode, but look up because Colin has a link to help fund his legal support. Yuruj has one as well. And I will also suggest that you look into your individual state's bail fund to assist those who cannot afford to be bailed out who should be because there are a lot of people sure you commit a crime you steal a candy bar whatever the case may be you don't need to be locked up because the court system is backed up when people say defund the police this is part of it yeah this is part of it i understand that the thought you know and i have many friends who are in law enforcement or who are married to people who are in law enforcement and i get that your means of providing for your family being stripped or reduced is scary absolutely but what I am not willing to do is to allow George Floyd's, Khalif Browder's, Eric Garner's, Sandra Bland's, Philando Castile's. People are paying with their lives in order for you to live in comfort. And that's not okay anymore. It doesn't affect you so much that you are actually supported by the system. It doesn't affect you. I have friends who I love dearly, who are rich white people. They live in rich 
white neighborhoods and they can literally live their lives without ever encountering any of these issues. It doesn't affect them. I don't think they're inherently bad people, but I think they are self-centered, for lack of a better word, and they don't understand that their friends who they purport to love, me, you, mm -hmm. Colin, you, Rouge, it affects us. We we don't get to go home to our gated communities where we don't have to deal with street-level law enforcement. Uh, and even if we lived in gated communities, I'd have to deal with explaining to people I actually live in that gated community. But that's that's a whole nother... Um, but the reality, believe it when you hear it. Um, and if you don't, look it up for yourself. Uh, Seriously, don't believe everything you hear. I mean, you may not believe what we're saying, but look it up. Everything is out there. Everything is, you know... Listen to a court hearing. They're now accessible. You can you can do that. The silver lining, COVID-19, will be that a lot more things have been made accessible to us. We don't have to physically enter a courtroom. We can dial in. Literally. Um, all, for the most part, a good portion of hearings are public, are open to the public. You got nowhere else to go. Log on and listen if you really want to be educated. Listen yep. to what's going on. It's not that difficult. It's not. It's at your fingertips, literally. It's at your thumbs, literally. Uh, Josh, you've taught me so much today. Oh, you know, it's like my my advisee is. Look at how grown he is. Oh. I'm I'm like a, like a proud big sister. I am I I feel very lucky that you know we have stayed in contact all these years, and a lot of us have come together over things that we probably should have done years ago. But I'm glad that the movement is happening, and I'm glad that change is coming. And I hope for those who are listening that you become part of it and spread the word to others. Like, it is it is time. The time is now. All right, so keep a lookout for those links. Get your wallets out. Make some actual changes. Keep talking. I'll yes. Keep talking. I know there are people like you and I who uh, get frustrated about bringing this up to people who don't understand it. Yeah. Um, the way I see it, it's exhausting. It is. Absolutely. The way I see it is this. There are blatantly people who are on the other side of the fence, enemies against us. And the enemy is ultimately, for me, racism. Not necessarily racist, it is racism. I am fighting racism. There are those who are unequivocally racist, and there are those who are willfully ignorant, mm -hmm. who can still be swayed. We need numbers, ultimately, on this war on racism. We need to convince those who are on the fence to fall onto our side. But listen to the stories. Just listen. Just listen. and Because there are a lot of them. There are a lot of them. Because it doesn't happen on your street that it doesn't happen on every other street on the other side of America. Like, it, it happens daily. Uh, well, thank you, Josh, so much. Thank you, love you. Uh, All right. Love you. I appreciate you. Love you more, man. <laughs> <laughs>